Hello and welcome to the Sound Up Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Cartwright, joined as always by my co-host, John Carey. And you know what time it is. We are back and better than ever. John is now tan mm. and looking fresh, and I have been living it up in the Seattle cold, but that's fine. Got sunkiss, baby. <laughs> Son gave me a little smooch. Um, today we've got a lovely discussion on some Mariners trades that have happened since we last talked. We've got some looking at the Pac-12 championship game since we missed last week, and uh, some Seahawks discussion, some value dogs, and last but certainly not least, we get to talk my University of Washington Huskies. Wrap it up. Beating John's Gonzaga Bulldogs, We're number not seven ranked team in the nation. What? It's not anymore. Coyote picnic. <laughs> John, what was your initial reaction to the Jared Kelnick trade? Um, my initial reaction, which I believe has since been proven wrong, my initial reaction was optimism. As with every Mariners move, I think I am a little more optimistic. I'm less optimistic on their seasons. You're always the optimist on their actual years, but I'm optimistic about their trades. I'm always like, okay, what's the reason? They're working towards something here. Maybe they got a good prospect. Um, so when I saw the Kelnick trade, I was thinking, okay, they are clearing salary to make a big move. Now, that's a little frustrating. I know you and I both like Kelnick. We also like Marco, who is also part of the deal. And Evan White. Evan White's great defensive first baseman. He hasn't really proven himself in the big leagues. But. Correct. Yeah. But he is a solid prospect. So I was, I was sad to see those guys go, especially, you know, pitching death last year. It's like, okay, don't love losing Marco. Kelnick was a big bat for us when he played well. Um, obviously, he had his issues. Um, but I was like, okay, I saw we got a decent prospect in return, and this was a salary move to clear up space. So that was my first reaction. I've become a little less optimistic. Yeah, yeah. Initially, I was like, okay. So I saw the name, and I was like, Jared Kelnick, we trade Marco, we trade Evan White. In my mind, I was like, this could be a huge deal for somebody a little bit bigger from the Braves. And then I thought about it, and I was like, no, this is like, we don't play Marco. Evan White's not going to see the field at all for the Mariners. And Marco and Evan make like $20 million next year. And then I think Evan makes another 10 um, the following. And so Jared, you know, makes 700 k he's, he's a good player. He's the one the Braves wanted. And the Braves have since gotten rid of Marco and Evan White. Mm. But my initial reaction was a little bit of excitement, and then immediately I was like, okay, this isn't for anybody. This is for money dumping. Um, and Clearly. The, the more that we've heard about this deal and kind of the implications of the Mariners as a whole and kind of where their franchise is at, uh, I'm not very excited, not very happy with where they are at. Yeah, it's, um, it's a frustrating situation. Yeah, anytime you should never have to lose a good player to like dump salary like you know these guys aren't evan white is more of a uh, hypothetical asset but marco's an asset well marco pitches he's a solid pitcher and he's had injury issues he's had consistency issues um but there's you know there's always teams looking for pitchers you shouldn't have to give up a prospect like kelnick just to move salary and if you're going to do it to move salary then you 
better fucking be doing it with the intention of making a big swing. And you better have a guy in mind. And it, it does not seem like either of those things is the case. Yeah, I think they're kind of floating in the wind right now as we record this on Wednesday, December 13th at 9 p.m. <laughs> in case they make a trade at 10. <laughs> um, yeah, we have yet to hear of any big moves that the Mariners are involved in. Um, obviously, Soto moved to the Yankees. Shohei's been signed. Like Everything that kind of everybody was super excited for with the Mariners' potential with this trade and the clearing of cap space has since dwindled into abysmal discussions of hoping we get Jorge Soler and maybe, maybe we're, we're saving up to give Blake Snell a contract who we really don't need. Correct. The fact um, that Jorge Soler would be the big name. I remember when he was a guy that couldn't play for the Cubs. Obviously, he's gotten better, but still. Um, yeah, I guess the elephant in the room is the Otani deal. Um, one of the biggest, the biggest deal in the history of the MLB. And history of sports, dude. This is the biggest deal ever. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think, yeah. Pro, there's pro probably soccer. some pro yeah, soccer. I think Saudi I think, soccer or something. Yeah, exactly, going on. <laughs> exactly. I think uh, uh, Ronaldo got like a billion dollars from Saudi soccer, but American sports certainly the highest. A like, kind of unique deal. You were just telling me before the pod that it's it's super backloaded that they basically deferred most of his salary like ten years down the line, which is very unique. But it's just frustrating, you know. It was always fun to talk about him hypothetically going to Seattle. I never thought it was super realistic. Obviously, they were never going to give him a deal like that. Um, and it just goes back to the single biggest problem in baseball and the problem that, you know, you can make the game faster all you want, but the sport will continue to die when three teams have massive, massive competitive edges over the rest of the sport, which is that there's no salary cap. There's no cap. Like, <laughs> this Dodgers team is so stacked with big names and big salaries, and they signed the best player in baseball to the largest contract in the history of American sports, and now they're talking about going after Yamamoto coming out of Japan. And they're, like, having serious conversations with the guy. They're, they're probably the front runner to sign him as well, which means they would get the two biggest acquisitions of the offseason after already being the most expensive team in baseball. And people wonder why people aren't watching baseball as much. Guess what? You know, it's not fun watching all the best players, you know, congregate in New York and L.A. It's not, guess what, it's super cool if you live there. Most people don't live there, and it's not that interesting. And it sucks for a team like Seattle that is small and building and has all this young talent. You know, what chance do they really have? Look at their roster compared to a roster like L.A. and understand that there's no chance that they can get there. I think the other side of that is, we saw it this year. There's always a chance for any team that makes the playoffs to yeah. make it to the World Series. That's, that's fair. Which gives owners a reason not to do, not to spend money. You know, you see it in the Mariners where they just offloaded a bunch of salary and they made the playoffs in 2021 and basically stayed right where they were at and they didn't make the playoffs. But that just they just don't have to invest now. While teams like the Braves, who can trade for Jared Kelnick take on Marco Gonzalez and Evan White and trade both of them and keep their salaries on their team. They just they literally just traded for them and paid $15 million for Jared Kelnick. Yeah. That, that's what they did. And it's just like teams that have owners that are willing to put in the money and put in the time to make these teams and players like stay there and stay there long term. It's just... It really does suck for the sport of baseball. Correct. And I, I also realize what I'm saying is not like 
it's true, but it's not, you know, the Dodgers and the Yankees have not been stacking World Series championships over the, you know, the last 10 years. So it's not, even though they are hogging a lot of the best players, they're not the ones actually winning it. It's the second tier guys that have really, really smart ownership and make all the right moves. And those are the Houstons and the Atlantas and these, you know, kind of tertiary teams. And then every once in a blue moon, you'll have a Chicago or a Philly, you know, poke through. But, um, so it's not, it's not like it's a top heavy sport being dominated by the top. It's certainly top heavy. And a lot of those teams fall flat every year, which is kind of baffling. But, um, I think more than anything, it's really discouraging to be one of the bottom five or bottom 10 in terms of what you spend and the way you develop your team. And I don't think there's any doubt that Seattle is a bottom 10 franchise in terms of their willingness to play pay players. They might be bottom five. Yeah. And, and yeah, to be fair to baseball, there are a lot of those teams in the top 15 that have a chance of winning it every year. But if you're in the bottom 10, it's hard to see a way out, which is fine. Because, like, you you know, we hit on Julio. That's great. How do we get three more guys like him? How do we get three more? Because all the best teams have, like, four awesome guys. And the Seattle Mariners, in my opinion, have one and a half. We've got Julio and we've got JP. <laughs> Sorry, JP. But it's just I, just, I just don't know, man. Yeah, you think of, like... The Mariners have, and I know you don't like Cal Raleigh as much as I do. Or I, I like yeah. Cal a lot. I think comparing him to a guy like Freddie Freeman is silly. No, no. Yeah, when you look at the Dodgers, you look at the Braves, you look at those teams, and it's like, yeah, okay, they've got five amazing players. And then there are teams like the Astros who really have like Kyle Tucker, Jordan Alvarez, and Jose Altuve. And then they're like... Alex Bregman yeah, is but that's, good, it, but he's... He's a half. He's JP. He's JP, yeah. Yeah, but they have three guys, and we have one. I don't. We don't need five. We need three. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And I think they're, they're trying to do that, but it's hard to do that when you're working with young players. You're trying to work with young players and hoping that they hit instead of spending money on players that you know are going to hit. You've um, got to do both. All the best teams do both. Yeah. Jordan well, was a home-built guy, but... You know, they bring in a lot of these guys, too. And that's what I'm saying. The Mariners are like, okay, we've got a great young core in Julio. JP's pretty inexpensive. He's not necessarily young, but he's pretty inexpensive. Yeah, Cal's young still in his first few years of his contract. Kelnick was Kelnick young. Kelnick was young. You've got Kirby and Gilbert who are still coming into like their Yeah, Our pitching staff is awesome. I'm mostly talking about our bats. But that's the thing. When you have a great pitching staff, we talked about it all last year, you need hitters. And you just need to have a couple guys because you can't just spend I guess it's not even, they're not even spending money. You can't just invest in pitching yeah. and hope that your hitting finds its way because that's just not how baseball works. There were so many teams last year with the offensive explosion in baseball. There are so many teams that have three or four guys hitting three hundred. Last year we were looking at the Rangers who obviously ended up pulling it out. They had three or four guys on their roster who were hitting three hundred on the air. And I know you hate that I just bring up average, but it's still in my mind the single most important offensive stat of an individual player. The mo- just like the most basic thing to look at is like if you have a guy that's hitting three hundred, he is an awesome asset to your offense. Last year, the Mariners at zero, and Julio's never going to be that guy. I just I have a hard time imagining the way he swings the bat that he'll ever. I think he will peak at like a two eighty five. With he's, you know, he's going to hit two eighty. 
for most of his life. Which is great because he's also going to hit, you know, 35 to 50 home runs for most years. But uh, we need those guys. And JP is probably the closest we have to that. And I I love the guy to death. And he's a great contract. He's probably my favorite Mariner. But he's just, he's not that guy. Where are the Alex Bregmans? The guys that aren't even a top-tier star but can just do that for you. And the Mariners just, they never get them. They just never get them. Yeah, you think about that. Like, Ty France is supposed to be that. JP uh, is supposed to be that. But you can't look at Luis Urias and Jose or Josh Rojas and uh, Dominic Canzone yeah. and think, oh, we yeah, those, Canzone. those guys are going to hit even 250. Like, these guys, those guys are fringe major leaguers right now. Correct. And you can't expect for that to, to work out. They're good utility players, but, like, that that's never been our problem. The Mariners have always had good utility guys. Um We've got a good staff, good at developing these young guys. But it's, it's just a matter of getting the top end talent. And, you know, I would love for the Mariners to prove us wrong this offseason. I'm not sure who's available in terms of big names. But bring somebody in. Please, bring in Jorge Soler, for Christ's sake. I'll take him. At least he can hit some dingers. But I, I was a little upset. I saw Jung-Hoo Lee got acquired by the the Giants earlier today. Um, he's a big, big contact bat out of the KBO, who I think is going to come over and play really well. Um, he would have been really a really nice acquisition. Um, I really think we're going to deal one of Bryce Miller or Brian Wu for a mm. bat, um, which doesn't doesn't feel great, but that's kind of just how it is. You know, you've Better got a good, a good young bat, pitcher. Better be a good we bat. Need a good bat. Um, I love both those guys. Who would you rather see leave? Probably Wu, right? Yeah, probably. Miller's got the high end possibility. I think yeah, Wu is just like he kind of tops out at ninety five. 96 fastball, but yeah. with decent movement and a couple of off-speed pitches that need some honing in. But Miller's just Miller's fastball slider combination is just too deadly to pass up. I think Wu is the better player right now. That might be a hot take. I think I think Wu is a more polished player right now. I just think Miller's got Miller's got like top five pitcher in the MLB potential. Now, obviously, good chance he doesn't reach it, but he has that kind of potential, and Wu just doesn't have it. So I'd rather hold on to him. Yeah, I think Wu's like he's got like seventy five percent major league ready for three of his pitches, mm. and then Bryce Miller's got like ninety percent ready with his fastball and like sixty five percent slider, sixty five percent changeup. Like he's just his fastball is so his so fastball is very nice. Um, he's obviously probably the better prospect too. Yeah. We'd probably get a better bat for Miller than Wu, but yeah. Um. In t- okay, one final note. In terms of the Jared trade, uh, I was looking at like just kind of how some outfielders compared in like F war um, and just salary wise and everything. Uh, I really do like the fit of Lourdes Gurriel. Jared had one; he produced one point two F war um, last year in a hundred games, which is a hundred games is a lot for an outfielder these days with the way the platoons are played. Correct. If you're not an everyday guy, you're going to get you know eighty five to ninety games. Jared got 100 even with a broken foot and only produced 1.2 F4. It's just like he really, really – the fact of the matter is he really fell off late in the, late in the season. He did. He, he um, fell apart. And I think his production will be easy to reproduce. I think it's a bigger loss in terms of name and potential. Yeah. But, well, obviously what he did for us last year wasn't earth-shattering. It's what he could become. Yeah. And the thing is, if we're not replacing him with a similar level talent yes. in terms of potential, then we're never going to get those three guys that are carrying your offensive output. We're just never going to get there if we don't sign him or we don't retain him. So you're right. 
he he will be his production from last year will be super easy to replicate. There is a sixty five percent chance that he like burns out and never becomes what we think he can be. At this point, yeah, very very likely. Yeah, he obviously has some attitude stuff. I I like him. I I like his intensity, but um, nothing's guaranteed. But the problem is. You know, at some point, at some point, you have to turn something into something tangible and real. So prove me wrong. Go and get somebody this year that we can say, oh, he's going to replace Jared and more. And I will be happy. Yeah. Do you. So I have a couple guys in mind um, and I'll I'll name them right now. And give me if you have any ideas, give me yours. But I'll name mine real quick. A Rosarena from the Rays is somebody who everybody's been talking about as we could acquire him. Jesus Christ. I would love that. Yeah. He's he's like a. Top three player in the MLB. Not top three, but he's like... What are you talking about, dude? A Rosarena. He had a really good postseason a couple years ago and has been... Like, he's been hitting like 275 for the last couple years. Like, he's good, but I just don't think he's as... You know, he's not Soto. (laughs) I I may be giving too much cred to his postseason run. He was... He's a potential... A potential. He's a perpetual home run derby guy. He He bats closer to 300 than I think you would know. He's also... Fast as lightning, great defensive player. Yeah, no, I, I, I love, love the idea, Rosarena. Yeah, um, he he is absolutely a top three guy we could pair with. Yeah, in terms of having a guy on our team to yeah, fit that mold, that we're talking about. Yeah, correct. Him and Julio would make sweet music together. Um, I think Guriel, who's a free agent right now, um, his contract last year I think was in the mid uh, twenty millions, uh, which is a lot for the Mariners, obviously. Um, but we did spend that money on Teo last year, and. I think Guriel would be a better outcome. Yeah. He's more contact, less strikeout and power. Correct. Um, which which we need. And I do, I, I still am in love with the idea of trading for Jose Ramirez just because he's a I, I perennial MVP candidate. Um, Jose's awesome. Yeah. Just Cleveland's kind of not in the same spot that they have been the last couple of years. And I think they're ready to kind of at some point go back. Yeah. And I think J Ram is kind of in that perfect spot where we could be like, hey, we'll take your aging perennial MVP candidate and you can have great great pitcher who's like just coming into his own and sure. a couple prospects and i yeah. think that would be a great deal that would be a fantastic deal i i just yeah those are all nice all hypothetical not super confident any of them happen if we could have julio and a rosarena and keep our pitching staff and just empty the entire rest of the roster if we had to dump everyone and just have julio and a rosarena and then build just with you know triple a guys I would that that would be a preferred outcome for me because though that I'm not kidding, man. To compete in this league, you need a couple top end guys. I don't think the Mariners will ever get over the hump. They can have as deep of a, a team as you want. Great pitching is great. Need a couple top end guys, and it's so hard to get them, man. It's so hard when you're this team. So yeah. We'll see. We got to We got to move on. Yeah, this is we've be, already been talking for thirty minutes. This is going to be the longest <laughs> podcast we've ever done. Um, this is lo- what happens when you come back from a from a hiatus. Yeah, we shouldn't have taken a week off because <laughs> it was your fault too. Um, okay, let's move on to UW discussion. So we have not touched on the fact that your University of Washington Huskies beat Oregon for the second time. God, is that sweet, Phil Knight? I hope you're rolling over in your grave. 34 to 31 in the Pac-12 championship um, in Vegas. Back and forth game. UW came out big. Oregon came back, took the lead. UW closed it out. Pretty sweet. Yeah. Um, God, you know who had a great game? 
Dylan Johnson. Dylan Johnson was amazing. Uh, well, do you notice that every time we talk about UW winning a big game against a good opponent, we always end up talking about <laughs> Dennis Johnson? The guy is just Dennis. Dylan Johnson. The guy's just a complete stud. I love that kid. Yeah. No, he... I was looking at like just kind of the stats for the team as a whole, um, and yeah, against USC, against Utah, against Oregon State, like these big, big games, Johnson's just come in clutch every single time. Um, and I just think like I think he had twenty eight carries for one hundred and fifty six yards in the Oregon game with uh, two rushing touchdowns and a passing touchdown. Like the the dude had a game, and the other thing is he was hustling. He was making very, very key blocks up the middle when they would blitz. Huge. We caught a huge couple blocks. of those. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's, yeah, he's really just taken a huge step forward this year. And I, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he's just like shoots up the running back leader, leaderboards. Dude, the man is is really, really good. Really dynamic. Better pass catcher than he gets credit for. He doesn't get to do much of it on this team because when they throw it, they're throwing it downfield. Yeah. Not a check down offense by any means. Okay, yeah, 28 for 152, 5.4 yards per carry. Just really, really awesome stuff. Penix was also really, really sharp, 320 yards. You know, more than Dylan Johnson, I'm going to remember this as the Jalen McMillan game. The Jalen McMillan, McMillan return. <laughs> um, yeah, I think he was kidnapped for <laughs> 10 weeks there. Uh, they had a body double on the field so people wouldn't be concerned, but he was gone and then suddenly came back and... For the first time since the first or second week of the season. Since Michigan State, yeah. Jesus. He has looked like that third head of the three-headed monster that was always supposed to be this offense. People forget it was just a Dunze and Polk all year. McMillan was a non-factor all season. And then here in the biggest game of the year, nine receptions, 130 yards. Um, yeah, leading all receivers. Uh, I was really impressed. Uh, I think a lot of it too. A lot of the his catches were some of Penix's best balls. I thought, you know, Adunze is still the best offensive weapon we have, but Penix was doing a really, really good job of getting the ball to McMillan in space. Um, yeah, I think that's that's the key. Is he was getting it in space, and McMillan was able to create some yards after the catch by just his sheer athleticism. Because yep. he really just like I think with guys on him, he was a little bit shaky. Um, when he would come back and kind of be be in the schemes for short durations, like against Oregon State and things like that. Yep. But when he was able to get the ball in space and get moving, McMillan looked awesome. Yeah, and part of that too, you know, coming off an injury, made a little skittish around DBs, not doing everything he needs to do. But yeah, this is the first game back. I've been really impressed. So that was awesome. Defense played well. It was one of those games again where they came up where we needed them, and where we needed them this game was early. <laughs> they faded a little bit down the second half, but we jumped We jumped out on top of Oregon. We're up 20-3. to um, Looked like it was going to be a blowout. All credit to Oregon. They scored four straight touchdowns at one stretch between the second and third quarter mm-hmm. um, to come back and take the lead, um, and then UW had to fight their way out from there um, and just hold Oregon off there at the end. But... Um, yeah, a good team effort. Nobody thought it could be done. I when we, we talked, yeah, we were both very, very. It's so hard to beat the same team, the same good team twice in a single year. So I thought, I honestly thought UW was at a disadvantage because they'd won the first game. Mm-hmm. I think you might have commented during our last discussion that you almost wish they would have lost the first one so that they could come into this one with more of an edge. Oregon came in with the edge, you know they they had that fu energy, but 
for the second straight time, UW pulling it out when it matters most. This team owns the fourth quarter. God, I love that about this team. The funnest part about this dogs team is they can be down seven going into the fourth and you can feel confident. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think everybody said this since that game. They were just way more physical than the Ducks in, in that regard. Like they were just hitting people hard. Yeah. They were seeking the ball and just, just kind of on a mission, which yeah. I think was everything that we were looking for. Undefeated, baby. Still can't believe we're not number one. Cannot believe. I, we should, we should be number one. one. Michigan, they don't it's, deserve that at all. It's absolute bullshit. You know what we didn't get to talk about? The FSU getting oh, left out. That's, that's we, were, we were butting heads. Not butting heads. But like we we're, were constantly debating whether they should make it. Yeah. And I still am under the impression that any team that went undefeated over the course of a season should make any sort of playoff. Because yeah. you think about... like. Yeah, any any team, even if you're playing 13 games, like you should. It was such a mess, man. And you know that what this really is. I'm glad this happened this year because it's just all the more reason when the old farts are complaining come postseason time next year. All these teams making the playoff. It doesn't even mean anything anymore. Shut the hell up. <laughs> we are so sick and tired of seasons like this where a team like FSU gets bumped after being undefeated. And by the way, I think. They made the right decision. In terms of, yeah, the best the best teams, yeah, they probably did make the right decision. I want UW to win this thing so bad, and I really, really wanted FSU to make the playoff. <laughs> I did. I did, because UW deserved the number one overall, and I thought we were going to get FSU at the four. And it's like, that is such a better matchup than Texas or Alabama. So the committee did the right thing. People shouldn't be mad at the committee. The committee literally did what their job is to do. People are just mad that there can't be five teams in the playoff and next year there will be I, and there will be a couple teams that aren't as deserving but fucking get over it at least we'll be done with this i cannot believe this team didn't make the playoff it'll be done yeah um, yeah. yeah so michigan got number one which is crazy um we got the two and this this was part of the fsu dilemma too is texas won the big 12 championship and alabama upset georgia the SEC title. So you have these two one-loss teams in Texas and Alabama, and you tell me how you let one of them in and not the other, because their options if they kept FSU were either to let Texas in because they beat Alabama at home and won the Big 12 championship, so they, you know, they have to be in, but then you're not going to put an SEC team in the college football playoff? You're not going to put conference football, a single representative in the playoff? They had, you know, one loss. Um, or other option is you put Alabama in. <laughs> Texas fans lose their mind. Storm the Capitol. Um, because they literally beat Alabama at home. I think my problem with the, the playoff is one that's like, the fact that they call it a playoff means that it should be played for. It shouldn't be people that decide what it is. And in my yeah. mind, it should be like, the top, the teams with the best records should make it no matter what. Which should be the four conference champions. Four conference champions, which Plus, will now be what it is since there's yeah. only going to be four conferences. Correct. Um, yeah. Plus whatever. Like, I guess, yeah, it doesn't really matter at this point. But it should be the four conference champions. And in this case, since we have five conferences, it just makes it really hard because yeah. one of those conferences will get left out every Probably year. Not. And there have been years where two guys, you know, two SEC teams make it or something like that. Yeah. Um, no. My – I just don't like Texas and Alabama being in it because they played earlier this year. I – I don't like the idea of, hey, both of them won. It's a rematch. It's like, no. Well, I, you know, hopefully neither the, one of them will Hopefully play. that doesn't happen. But the potential for that to happen 
just doesn't feel right because it already happened earlier. Like, this is why you play those games to determine who's better. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's a, yeah, Georgia really effed us by losing. Yeah. It should have been Georgia. And then it would have been, then it would have been easier to not let Texas in and put FSU in because, yeah. but the problem is when you have those two teams, you just can't really put one in without putting the other in. So, yeah, yeah FSU got the shaft. But yeah, UW's going to play Texas. We have a lot to say about that game, but this podcast is already going to be long. So we're going to save it. We're going to save our big UW Texas discussion. Just know that we're appalled by the line that Vegas set. It is disgusting. How many times, man? How many times? Even after this Oregon game? How are we going to be doubted again? Yeah. Nobody's played the schedule we played. The only team that's played close to the schedule we played is Georgia, and they lost one of those games, and they're not in the playoff. We have played easily the hardest schedule of any playoff team, and we're undefeated. We're one of two undefeateds in the playoff. Michigan has played one good game this year. One and a half if you count Penn State, which... And we definitely don't count Iowa. (laughs) (laughs) Hell no. Um, Yeah, that was a joke. So, yeah, we'll have a lot to say. Um, Before we move off UW entirely, or college football entirely, I did want to just touch on the Heisman. Yes, that's a good call. Jaden Daniels from LSU won the 2023 Heisman. Scum. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And we are biased. I just stole it from our boy. Sorry. I just wanted before we throw him under the bus. I wanted to give him his love. The man threw for thirty eight hundred yards, forty touchdowns, and four interceptions. He also ran for a thousand yards for ten more touchdowns. So fifty touchdowns, four picks. Penix had forty two hundred yards, thirty three touchdowns, nine picks. Was not an asset on the ground. Statistically speaking, there's not really a comparison. Obviously, the big difference is team success. I I don't even think it's team success. I think it's the way that the Heisman is picked is 100% stat-based and not visually like how this or like how this player made this team better. You know, when you when you look at Michael Penix and you compare him to Jaden Daniels, it's like I don't think Penix would have performed nearly as nearly as well on that uh LSU team because the LSU team centered like solely around Daniels and it just gave him the opportunity to get those rushing touchdowns, get those rushing yards because it was all about him. Yeah. And I don't mean to say that in like an attacking way. That's just like how their offense was constructed. Yeah. They were great. It was like the James Harden Rockets. Yeah. And to some extent that's awesome, but they finished like 16th in the nation and Penix led the undefeated season of the number two team in the nation. Number one in my book. Number one in everybody's book, except for the committee. Um, <laughs> and it was just like very much the leader. He very much like did everything we asked of him and more as a as a player. Uh, I don't know. I think the fact of the matter is the Heisman is just such a stats based award at this point. I don't I don't yeah, love it. It's frustrating because it's not often that we see this happen where there's one guy were two very deserving guys, two awesome seasons. Let's not let's not, you know, blink at forty two hundred yards. That is serious business. Three if you count Rome, because he should be in there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, but you know, two deserving guys. One definitely has the better statistical record. The other is far and away leading the better like team success. Um, normally, it's like you have Lamar with Louisville where there's no guy like Penix to compete with. So it's like, yeah, let's give it to the guy shredding the stats. Or you have two on Alabama, 
where he's having the Penix season for a great team. By the way, if Penix was doing this for Alabama, he would win the Heisman. Um, 100%. But, yeah, so it's just it's tough. I, I wish they took in team success more because Penix had an awesome year. It's not like he threw for, you know, 3,300 yards and 25 touchdowns. and It's like, oh, yeah, he was just on the best team. That's all we want. They both had awesome years, and Penix was the team guy. So second in the Heisman, pretty great. He had an awesome year. He's going to be a top 15 draft pick probably this year. Um, Penix? Penix. Mm-mm. Top 20? I don't think he'll go in the first round. I'd be surprised. He's just his injury history and the fact that he's not a dynamic two, two type two type of offense threat. Like he doesn't run and doesn't – like he only passes. Mm. It's just not what offenses want in the NFL right now. I, I think he'll be the fourth quarterback in the draft, probably. I think I, w- I would say fifth or sixth, probably. Goddamn, hater yeah. over here. And like I love Penix. I I think NFL scouts are worried. Like he's had four shoulder surgeries. Like has he really? It's it's probably not four, but he's had a few. Okay, well that's <laughs> that is fair. It'll be interesting to see. Obviously, his performance in the playoff could be a big indicator there too, because yeah. um, I've really liked the way he's looked, and uh, he'll make the league. We'll say that. Um, anything else you want to say before moving on to NFL? One quick thing about UW football. Jake Browning leading the Cincinnati <laughs> Bengals for the last couple weeks. He has looked awesome. Looks amazing. Joe who? Yeah, we don't we don't need that guy. Yeah. Um, pretty hilarious. Uh, yeah, he's been really good. And that offense is stacked. He should be good. He's been managing awesome. I've heard some really cool testimonials about him in the last couple of weeks about what a great guy he's been in that locker room. Just working behind Burrow. Yeah. And apparently Burrow loves him for his start this last week. Burrow bought like 40 tickets so that Jake Browning's whole family could come see the game. That's so sick. That's freaking sick. God, I love Joe Burrow. I love Browning too, but <laughs> I love Burrow. Um, no, Browning is, he kind of reminds me of like a Brock Purdy type quarterback where if you like have him in the right situation, yeah. he can do everything that he is asked of him. He's to. very smart. He's not He's not going to do anything crazy, but he's going to do everything that's asked of him well. So. Yeah. All right, enough of that positive talk. Let's get into the NFL. Uh, San Francisco and Seattle played, and exactly what we thought was going to happen happened. Um, we literally had this conversation two weeks ago. Yeah, we, we skipped the good conversation. So maybe do you want to talk a little bit about the Cowboys game? Oh, yeah, just how good that game was? Just how good it was. The offense looked amazing. Um, yeah, that was Geno's best game of the season in DK my mind. Awesome game yeah. too. DK three obviously. touchdowns. Yeah, he was. He's been unbelievable. He was good against the Niners again today. But um, yeah, DK is really coming into his own uh, these last couple weeks. If I don't think he's the kind of guy that can do this every week, which is what separates him from those tier one receivers. But this is the reason he's a tier two guy. Is that he has this potential. He has the potential to look like the best receiver in football for a day. Um, if he keeps doing this, he'll he'll work his way up there with any of the best, but uh, consistency has been the issue. Yeah, that Cowboys game was awesome. Gino looked unbelievable. Just a back-and-forth absolute slug match. Their defense, uh, Witherspoon and their secondary, did not impress me the way that it has in weeks past. But Yeah, I think they're just they're getting beat up. It's a, We've talked about how rough of a stretch this is for, for <laughs> offensive teams coming into Seattle. Yeah. Against Seattle. Yeah. yeah it's, been, it's been a grind. But uh, that was an impressive but painful loss. Yeah, it, yeah. Would have been great to get one of these four. 
Yes, and there's still one left. So, yeah, we got our butts kicked by the Niners, then we lost a nail bite of the Cowboys, and then today we got our butts kicked again by the Niners. I don't really have anything to say about this game. Drew Locke looked like a living human being. Um, Gino was really good, and then he got really pissed, and he did not play as well, which is what happens. I, I honestly don't understand why defenses don't just like come up with a list of things to shit talk to Gina or to Gino to DK early in the game to just completely shut him down. It, when he gets mad, he just does not play the same way. Yeah, I think DK is one of those guys who is constantly like I feel like every game he has the opportunity to go for a big shot touchdown. Yeah, which is kind of all you can ask for from a, from a good receiver. Like a good receiver should have. The ability to get one good play, like he's basically like Tyreek Hill light. I don't, I know that's kind of a crazy thing to say, but that's like what Tyreek Hill does. He takes one big shot a game and then kind of just like little chunks throughout the rest. Oh, of the, game. Well, no, the difference is Tyreek takes three big shots a game. Well, but so so DK, you know, I'm remind like first first or I guess first drive against the Cowboys, like DK has a 70 yard touchdown reception. Correct. He has that. He has that yeah. potential. It's not that he does it every game, which is what makes Tyreek better. It also comes from a different spot. Like he doesn't get separation the way Tyreek does. His is more about using his body to separate, and then once he has any sort of open field, then his legs are really. Yeah, open I was out. gonna say he hit top speed. Like he had the fastest touchdown or fastest speed in the NFL on that play. To- what? I, yeah, there's yeah. no doubt that he's fast. He's not nearly as shifty. He's just so yeah. big. Yeah, he's more of a straight line speed guy. So he needs to find himself in open space by using his size and strength, and then he can take off. Yeah. I just, I'm going to be slow about inviting any Tyree Kill comparisons. Tyree Kill might break 2,000 yards this year and have the greatest season in the history of receiving. So, but DK is awesome. Yeah. He, that's, he's definitely a big shot guy. Yeah. Um, God, looking at, I'm looking at our schedule right now. We've got four straight losses. We were six and three four weeks ago. And we, we are now six and seven. Bro, we saw this coming. Yeah. We were, this is why when we were six and three, we were still like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, I was thinking about it. We're just like, and this might be a good comparison to make between the 49ers and the Cowboys. The 49ers are head and shoulders above every team in the NFL to me right now. It's, yeah. it's like the 49ers and then maybe, maybe the Cowboys, Eagles, and yeah. What's, I don't know who in the AFC, but what's crazy is that like, Arguably, the three best teams in the NFL are in the NFC. Two of them, the Cowboys and the Eagles, are super competitive. And the Niners kicked both of their asses. Yeah. The Niners whooped up on both of those teams, who are arguably the two second-best teams in the NFL. So, yeah, I don't think anybody would argue that the Niners are the scariest team in football. Yeah, and I think with that comes the discussion of, hey, we competed with the Cowboys. Like, we had a, we lost 41-35. to 35. We scored 35 points they against a good game. Cowboys team. They had to, they had to win that game. They mm-hmm. took it from us right at the end. So, yeah, it was right there. Yeah, and the Cowboys, I believe, recently just beat the Eagles. That was that was last weekend, right? Correct. Um, Pretty handily. Yeah, and that's makes me feel a little bit better about this upcoming week against the Eagles, but they are in a spot where they need this win. Um, yeah, the tough. that's the really tough thing about that Eagles loss to the Cowboys, too, is that, you know, for all our talk about the Niners, the number one seed in – the NFC right now is the Philadelphia Eagles, and they have everything they need to hold on to it. They just need to win out, which means this game against the Seahawks is a very big game for them. We're going to get their A effort, as opposed to if they would have beaten Dallas, they would have been a lot more. They would have had a two-game advantage on everybody and could potentially take their foot off the gas a little. Yeah, I think what's interesting is they're in a spot where if they don't get the 
number one seed. Like if we if we beat them, they're going to want to kind of keep tail spinning to get to the number five seed and let the Cowboys pass them because whoever gets the five seed is going to have to play the winner of the NFC South, which is a great great game to have. <laughs> um, so I think this yeah, like you're saying, this is a huge game for the Eagles and. This is going to be a huge test to kind of see if we if we stack up with this second tier type of team. You already um, know what my answer is, man. Yeah, I'm not sure Geno's going to play either. Yeah, I don't have the biggest amount of faith. When, yeah, when I look at like the Ravens game six weeks ago where we lost 37 to three, it's just like, oh shit, what what were we doing? Yeah, we got stopped by the Niners both times. Yeah, but then you think we beat the Lions in week two? Like we have the potential to we we cream bad teams. The Lions lost lost New Orleans this week, man. Like I know, I think what it, we're just like consistently beating the teams we should beat. We're playing the teams that are close to our level, exactly like that. Which I think as weird as it is to say, includes the Rams. Like, we thought we were better than the Rams, but we're, the Rams are pretty decent. Dude, the Rams are are spastic. They're so they're so bipolar on the football field. They either look so mediocre or so good. I have no idea who the LA Rams are. I really don't. Yeah, well, all it is to say, we have the exact same record as them. So hmm. that those two games that we lost to them could have been a huge turn in the, in the tides there. Massive. Um, I really I'm not sure they're going to make the playoff. The Seahawks, correct. Yeah. I we're going to be. You think this? If we if you think we lose this game, we're six I and do. eight. I we do. can look at the next three games. We've got Titans, who we should win, win against the Steelers, who don't have a quarterback. Steelers suck. Yeah, and the Cardinals. Those three games are winnable, and if we're Titans beat and Miami, eight. man. Titans got some game. Their defense is solid, and Will Levis is nothing to lose. I think the Titans are gonna are they're gonna be like, hey, Will Levis, chill out. Like we got We gotta get a good draft spot here. <laughs> That's optimistic. I do hear you. Those are three winnable games. Um, and I, even though the Eagles are ten and two and have a great, great A game. The Seahawks have a really good A game too. Like they proved that against the Cowboys. Yeah, the Seattle, the Philly defense is a mess. Um, I would like to see the Seattle offense really take control. I would like to. I can't believe I'm saying this about a Pete Carroll offense. I would like to see him go back to the ground game a little bit more. Charbonnet was really, really good last week. He was averaging like five yards a carry, and he just didn't get that many carries. Um, I didn't, you know, Drew. Granted, Locke, when you when you're playing from behind the entire game, you do got to pass more. Correct, but there's a re- we were up early. We were up ten seven. Obviously, yeah. a little fluky, but you know, Drew Locke threw two picks. Um, I don't know why we didn't lean on the ground game a bit more with the way it was looking. But one person's take. Yeah, I don't know. Let's do. You, do you want to talk much more Eagles Seahawks? I think. I guess we can look ahead to it to give our predictions. But other than that, yeah, I I just think I think it's going to be kind of a offensive shootout between two teams with really good defenses, both of whom are playing really badly right now. Um, yeah, kind of weird. I think it's the strength of both teams, and <laughs> neither one's looked good at all recently. Um, I just think they've got better weapons than us. A.J. Brown is really just, like, completed DK. Like, A.J. Brown, DK should have a poster of A.J. Brown in his bedroom because, like, he's everything DK could be. DK might even be a little more athletic, but if so, just. They're just both freaks. And they just have a better ground game, better secondary receivers. Um, the tush push. They have the tush push. I, I like Jalen more than Gino. No surprise there. Um, and their pass rush is still pretty powerful. 
even if their secondary is looking pretty gross. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I'm just I'm not really sure where we get them. That's fair. I think I I do think the Eagles. Yeah, they kind of win in the trenches everywhere. I think this is going to – we would have to turn it into a shootout like we did against the Cowboys and Which hope that could we come happen. out on top. That could happen. Um, I, I could see this being like a 34-31 type finish where it's like the Eagles hit a field goal at the end to, to cap it. Jake Elliott from 63 yards. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I'm not – yeah, not super optimistic. It is at home. We love to see a good game at home. Um, I, I think it's going to be Philly by 10. I think they, I think they come out strong. Mm, you think I, the three and a half line from Vegas is a little, little low? <laughs> I think it's low. I think Philly really wants this one. I think they're tired of the disrespect. So I could be wrong, but I think, I think they come and, and swing and, and catch Seattle on the chin. Yeah, that's that's very fair. But we got to have a little optimism on the Seattle-based podcast. So well, that's what I'm about the, I'm optimistic about the other football team. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, anything else before we hop into our? Final, I guess, second to last segment of today. No, let's do it. All right, John. You wanted to give a little summary of the value dogs? Please, please. Gosh, what a horrible couple of months it's been. Yeah, the the last month or so has been a little little rough to us. And so we didn't I had our I had picks last week that I found in my pocket when I put my pants on this morning <laughs> and uh, proceeded to throw those away. Those do not count. <laughs> yeah, so we're we're completely we took that was our bye week, okay? Every team yeah, gets one. Every 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 host gets one. We got and I wish it would have been this week cuz these value ducks <laughs> suck, but such is life. Um in what is that? Week 13 it was. This is week 15. So in week 13, we both went one and two. John is now 15, 18, and three, mm. and I am 15, 20, and one. Just where Vegas wants us. <laughs> yep. yep. This is exactly where they're expecting us. Um, as a reminder, we do this because the underdogs cover in, over the last five years, 54% of the games. That is the statistical margin that the underdogs cover. It's just yep. more likely to happen. Correct. Which is why we're so good at picking them. Yeah. Um, and it's going to turn around these next couple weeks. That's right. We got to, I want to get back over 500. Um, <laughs> so second to last value dog of the year. No. Second to last value dog of the year. How many weeks are left? We got like four weeks, dude. Are there really that many weeks? Gosh. It's week 15. There's 18. It's 10 PM and I'm <laughs> sleepy. Um, for all, just for that, you get first pick for correctly guessing how many value dogs we had left. Man, your phone just got mad at you. Shut up. <laughs> sorry about that. Technology's trying to talk to me. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't do that, Hal. Uh, with my first pick for the Sound Up Seattle value dogs for week 15, I'm going to take the Cowboys plus one and a half against the Bills. What the fuck are we doing, Vegas? God damn it. I know we think the Bills are good, but they just beat the Chiefs, and we don't think the Chiefs are very good. The Cowboys are better. Yeah, this is going to be a good game. Um, I am also surprised that Dallas is now favored. Um, But we take the points where we can get them. I also had the Cowboys, so that will also be one of my picks. Um, This week is awful. There are a lot of value dogs that I do not want any part of. A lot of, a lot of rancid smells coming out of a lot of corners up I, and down this I list. But do I think wanna, this is one that there is good value. I do want to give one concern. Uh, it's in Buffalo, and the Cowboys are such an air raid offense. Like it could be, Correct. could be something to think about. Two but, feet of snow. Yeah, but we're we're getting points on a team that's nine and three. People I want be that pelting Dak in the back of the head with ice cold <laughs> beers. It's going to be a mess out there. Um, 
No, yeah, I just think yeah, you're just getting value on a on a on a better team. This is going to be a competitive game, home field advantage. So probably about fifty fifty, but you're getting a point and a half. That's why we do it. Yep. Um. Yeah, yeah. Cowboys are, I just think, better than the Bills. Anything else you want to say on that one? The over-under is 50-and-a-half in a very cold game. I think it could be an under. I'm smelling under there. All right, with my, I guess, second pick of value dogs. Ugh, gross, yuck. I don't like any of these. <laughs> All right, I'm going to go with the Washington Commanders. What? Back to the well. He's back. <laughs> Plus six and a half against the L.A. Rams. Um, like I said, this L.A. team is so confusing. They could beat this Commanders team by 30, and I wouldn't be surprised. Or they could lose, and I would also not be surprised. Um, six and a half is a lot of points, and there are a lot of bad options this week, okay? I'm doing the best I can. Is that all you got? That's all I got. <laughs> I love Sam Howell. I found three good options, and I'm very happy with my second option. Um, why are the Texans plus two and a half against the Titans? Because CJ might not play. Oh, is that the case? Yeah. I still think the Texans are better. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think it's a lot of recency bias with the Texans just losing 30-6 to six against the Jets and the Titans just beating the Dolphins. Correct. Um, I don't think that that should be where this line is at all. I think even though Tank Dell's out, and potentially CJ's out. I just think those are two best offensive players. Well, I just think the Texans are still looking for a playoff spot. Yeah, and the the Titans aren't. Like they're what five and eight. Yeah, they're they're out of it. I get what you're saying. Stroud might play. Obviously, he had his worst game as a pro last week. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I do think there's some recency bias tied into it. But uh, there's also a chance that they might be down their quarterback and best receiver. In which case. Titans should be favored by more. I think I think this is one of those like fake lines where everybody's like, oh, the Titans are back. And then I think that was just the Titans like, hey, prove it. We're an NFL team. And now we're going to go back to being crap and going for a, yeah. a pick. Turn back into a pumpkin. Yeah, I would not be surprised if, if Stroud plays if they won by like 15. But yeah, nothing wrong with that pick. Not my favorite pick. But since when do you care what I think? All right. With my third and final pick of Value Dogs this week. Yucky, yucky, gross. These are all so bad. Somebody send help. I am going to take... Uh, I can't believe I'm doing it. Uh, I'm going to take the New York football Giants. Plus oh, the six. Giants? Yeah, wow. against the New Orleans Saints. Six points is a lot of points again, folks. Um, Giants looked good last week. Saquon was balling out. Apparently everyone in the locker room loves DeVito. Um, I love DeVito. Yeah. He's my Joe Burrow, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's about right. Um, and this Saints team is bad. Derek Carr is really bad. Everyone on the team hates him. Um, it's kind of funny how much everyone on the team hates him. And they also aren't really in the division anymore. I think Atlanta and the Bucks are still fighting it out for that division. Out, but yeah. the Saints are basically out of it. Um, Giants are at least playing for pride. So, uh I guess I don't have a ton to say. This is the best of bad options. I can't believe I'm taking the Giants. Rough week for John and his value dog. Yeah, I'm not feel, I need all three, and I do not feel good about this <laughs> week at all. Uh, okay, with my third and our final value dog pick of week 15, I'm going to take the New York Jets Ooh. plus eight and a half against the Dolphins. 
listen, the Jets are a really good defensive team, and they stop passing offenses. This is a bet that the Dolphins will not be able to do what the Dolphins do against the Jets. That's correct, yeah. Um, uh, what's his name? Zach Wilson has had a couple of his best weeks as a pro these last couple weeks. That offense is starting to look like it has a little bit of life. Obviously, that 0-0 first half against the Texans is pretty gross, but then they scored 14 on their next two drives. Um, yeah, that Jets defense looks sharp. Worth noting, Dolphins coming off a tough loss. Um, Tyreek might not play. He hurt his ankle, did not look great, um, didn't return in that game last week against the Titans. Um, and there's a chance that he doesn't suit up this next week, which would be huge for this line because obviously he's kind of the sun about which all those other offensive players orbit. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a gamble because I could see this covering. I could see the Jets winning a close one. I could also see the Dolphins winning by, like, 50. Um, but I do see what you're saying. So here's here's my argument against the Dolphins winning by 50. The over-under is 37.5. What? Vegas won't let this get to 50 points, you know? That is a that is a low over-under for a Dolphins. That's probably the lowest over-under on a Dolphins game this year. Yeah, 8.5 points in a game that's only supposed to get 37 total points scored. That's not a lot of wiggle room. Jets are only going to score 9, apparently. I like the math there. That's some good, that's some good math. Yeah, because if at what point does a 9-point differential exceed? So I think the move is to bet... The over and the Jets plus, and you're guaranteed at least one of those will win. <laughs> and it's kind of like middling right out of the gate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and if Tyreek doesn't play, that's going to be it's going to be huge for this line. Take the plus eight and a half points right now. You heard it here first, folks. Liquidate your assets. <laughs> Bet on the New York Jets. Put your <laughs> put your life in Zach Wilson's hands. I think we just lost all our listeners. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Um, all right. Well, you know, just just for fun, I'm going to go ahead and throw out a rancid dog of the week. I'm feeling a little rancid. There are a lot of options here. But I think the easy choice is the New England Patriots <laughs> plus eight and a half against the Kansas City Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes has been crying and whining for the last three straight days about the refs doing their job. Um, and people are really down on the Chiefs. Bailey Zappi just got scolded for scoring touchdowns. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I don't even need to talk about the Chiefs. The Pats want to lose this game. They want to lose this game really bad. This is the best quarterback draft in terms of depth in the last, like, 10 years. Um, and they are in desperate need of a quarterback. So they want to lose every single one of these games. Um, and the Chiefs desperately want to win. Um, Pats D is good, but I, I just I don't see it. I think the Chiefs win handily. Yeah, no, I like that. I think something interesting, I just, I still don't think the Chiefs are good. I don't know, you might have to convince me if you feel otherwise, but I just, it's games like this where I'm like, the Chiefs should win this game by 15. And the fact that they just haven't been all season, we talk about this every week, I feel like. I can already see Patrick Mahomes taking that knee up five, (laughs) you know, (laughs) to run out the clock. Yeah, this Chiefs team does not cover. This is probably a bad rancid dog pick, but what's going to happen? Is my season going to get worse? (laughs) I've already crumbled like the walls of Babylon. Fuck. (laughs) All right, John, you ready for one final segment that you're not going to love? Can we just, why don't we just wrap here? We don't have to talk about this. No, we have to talk about this, buddy. (laughs) All right, let's do it. My Washington Huskies. 
Oh, so now it's it's not ours anymore. No, no. So we can talk about the, their football program. This together. Is, yeah, it's, exactly. It's you're you can claim them for football. <laughs> You've got your own basketball team that yeah. sucks. They just yeah. lost to my team yeah. by five. It was a close game. It was a very close game. Um, yeah, UW wins seventy eight to seventy three against the Gonzaga Bulldogs in Seattle at UW. Did I, t- did I tell you? I I don't know how much you, I told you about my betting on this game. I had Gonzaga plus two and a half. I adjusted the line and I had the under. And Gonzaga just couldn't pull it out for me. They just they just couldn't do it. What a bunch of losers. Um, yeah, thank Nemhard for that. Uh, so this, yeah, this was an interesting game. UW played really well. Good for them. Um, we were talking after the fact. Pretty amazing they're still not ranked in the top like 50. They're, they're ranked like 64 in the country or something right now. They are in the like in the bracketology or whatever whoever whoever does that is that Lenardi yeah um they are in the eleven one of the eleven spots in the first four in okay so I, I guess technically they're in the top fifty by, yeah. by that margin yeah that's fair it's weird that they would not they would be first four in instead of it's always weird how that yeah, works anyways um but yeah tough loss loss for the Zags the Zags are now seven and two. Two losses coming against Purdue, which was a great loss. We won the first half and then got our butts kicked in the second half when we couldn't hit a shot. Like, we could have won that game against the second-best team in the country. So that was a good loss. And then this was probably more of a bad loss. UW is a long, athletic team. We really saw their length as an asset. They did a really good job defending the three and turning the Zags over. Um, But the problem is they just don't have any good wins, the Zags. They just beat. They beat everyone else they played, but none of them have been particularly good. So, yeah, I guess I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's talk about this game. What did you see? You were at the game, gloating, sending n- nerdy, stupid texts to me, <laughs> not leaving me alone. Um, <laughs> what did you think? Uh, so, Watson, Hickman, and Nemhard spent the entire game on the floor. They did not come out. Um, and they, they, Watson and Hickman had a great first half. Nemhard had just kind of a rough game in all in all. Uh, the UW guards were better than the Gonzaga guards in this game. Hickman had a great first half. I think he had 11 or 13 of his 17 points in the first half. Um, and then he got, he got cold immediately in the second half. I think that's just comes with the kind of heat check of the halftime. Um, Frank Kepnang from the from UW um, really solidified himself as the starting center in this game. He basically, whenever Braxton Mia came in, it it looked like the entire UW team looked like a mess. He kind of allowed everybody to either shoot over him or go around him. He just looked too slow to be playing. Um, and Kepnang, with his athleticism, just looked awesome. He had that reverse dunk that kind of got the crowd into it. And I think that was the moment where everybody was like, okay, UW can hang with this team. Um, there was there was some time when Brooks and Wheeler were out. And those are our two kind of main threats to score the ball at any time. And I feel like you need at least one of those guys on the floor at any given moment. And there was maybe two minutes when both of them were out. And it, was, it looked rough there. Like UW didn't have a, a point guard or anybody to control the ball. And Hopkins was immediately like, hey, Keon, get back in there. Time to fix that. Um, but yeah, just down the stretch, like really consistent scoring. Brooks had 17, Wheeler 16, Kepnang had 14, a really good game from him. Wood had 12. He played 37 minutes. Wood was in the game for most of it as well. And he just, he looks really solid coming over from Portland. 
Um, Corin Johnson with 11 points, really good off the bench. And really, yeah, UW looked like a six-man team that was just kind of rotating a couple guys in with with some extra extra space. But they looked like they were up for the challenge, and I think that was that was the big thing. Yeah, they did. They looked good. It was, you know, both teams had pretty well-rounded offenses. Um, looking at the box score, you know, we shot 43%. You guys shot 46% from the floor. You guys shot 35% from three to our 28%. That's that's the difference in the box score. Um, similar free throws. You guys out-rebounded us. You turned it over a lot more. But, you know, just that mix of when you got a big, long team, and be better on the boards. They, I get what you're saying about guard play. Your guard play is not nearly as clean as ours. You don't really have a point guard. Um, Wheeler's our like our point guard. Correct. He's not like a he's not like a real college point guard. He's a he's a good player, and I like the way that UW runs their offense. What, what do you mean when you say real college point guard? He is not a ball control guy. Um, I guess no. He's more of a scoring threat. You're right. Correct. In that, in that yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. When you look at the way that you guys move the ball well, but you're not like in a heavy assist team, you had two guys with four assists, and that was the most. The next most was one. Um, so it just it, it's not like you're a heavy pick and roll. Like Nemhard was Nemhard had seven game. assists. Correct. Yeah. Nemhard was bad this game, but he is a, like a true college point guard. He's a high usage pick and roll. He had seven assists. The next guy had one on our team. So it's clearly everything's flowing through him. Your guys, it's a much more, the ball is in everyone's hands more, which is a good thing, but it's just a less clean way to play. That's Gonzaga's been like that for many years, and we always turn the ball over more than we ought. Um, but yeah, Nemhard was really rough for us this game. 12-7, and seven, you think that looks okay. He was 4 for 10 from the field, but... Four turnovers and just not good down the stretch. He was awful. Two big turnovers down the stretch. Um, yeah, Hickman was good. Stromer, Dusty Stromer, our other guard, was awful. He couldn't hit a three. Brandon Huff hardly played, which was kind of strange. He's been, like, our best man off the bench, and he only played four minutes all game to Ben Gregg's 15 minutes. Ben Gregg was really good. I liked the way he played, but I was really surprised. I wished Watson would have gotten more spell. He was so ineffective on offense, maybe because he played forty straight minutes. I'm really, I'm really confused that you never thought to put Huff in for a bit more run. It was interesting. He put Junsiak Yo in for quite a while in the game. He put him in for nine minutes, and I feel like that was the most run he's gotten. He's been playing more recently. He's actually looked really good in his minutes for us. I like. No, him. he did look good. Yeah, and we desperately need his size at the three. So I'm glad. Honestly, the eight that we had playing today are probably the right eight. We had, you know, Hickman, Nemhard, Stromer at guard, Watson, EK, Greg, and Huff at big, and Sekio is our kind of three off the bench. Um, and those are our eight best guys. Those are the guys that didn't play most for us all year. The minutes distribution I didn't love. Performance I didn't love. Nemhard wasn't great. But props to you, Dub. They, they were scoring efficiently. Love the way they were moving the ball. Yeah, no dig at point guard. I'm just saying that you guys move the ball a lot, which is a good thing. Um, tough rebounders, tough defenders, a lot of length. We Those kind of teams always screw up the Zags. Long, athletic, aggressive teams always get to the Zags. I think the key word there was aggressive. We were driving a ton, and so we caused a lot of foul trouble for the Zags too. Yeah. EK with four fouls in 24 minutes. Stromer had four fouls. Nemhard had four. Yeah, and EK was really good for us. He had 18 points, 8 of 14 from the floor. We would have loved to have him out there more, but yeah. he was in foul trouble. He was just, yeah, foul trouble all game. I think Ketnan kind of really had his way with him um, 
on the offensive end, which I don't think he was prepared for, just the athleticism of another big, um, which is something to, to look at. I think he's good against an ED type, but not necessarily like a quicker quicker center. Yeah, um, yeah, he's he's never been the best laterally. I you know that's not what EK is out there for. He's yeah. not out there to be. That's what we have. You know, Watson and Greg and Huff for all three of those guys are better defenders than EK. So I was actually pleased with the way that EK played. Yeah, no, I, I I agree with that. I just think the way that UW was able to utilize like Watson was on Brooks the entire game because Correct. they you know Gonzaga knows how big of a scoring threat Brooks is, mm-hmm. and I think if anybody else was on him, he would have had twenty five points. Like. And they did a good job. The 17 was really good by Watson. UW did a good job adjusting, too, because, yeah, he only had 17, 5 for 12, not the most efficient. And they adjusted and got them all of the other guys, which a lot of teams don't do. So that was good on them. So just a really, honestly, I hate to say it, a pretty well coached game by Hopkins in terms of like who was in when things were happening. Absolutely. I think he coached circles around Few. I think Few did not make adjustments, especially down the stretch. Yeah. Great, great job by Hopkins. They've had a, a up and down start to the year. Um, some loss to Colorado State, who's a good team. Uh, San Diego State, who's a good team. Nevada, who's an okay team. They're pretty good. Yeah, best win of the year by far, right there. And then uh, two more kind of warm up games before Pac-12 play really gets started. So, yeah, interesting to see what UW can do. It'll probably be a while before we really revisit what they can be. Just because we'll need to see a bit more. We need to see them against consistent opponents in the Pac-12. Correct. Where it's like these guys are at their level. Four or five weeks they play Oregon. That'll be an interesting game to see. Does this team have maybe top 25 potential? I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, Zags are a little bit more interesting. Like I said, they're 7-2. and two. One really good loss. Love to have on the record. This one I do not love to have on the record. Um, Who knows? You might when they're, when UW's number 10 in the nation. That would be fantastic. <laughs> I, would, I would love that a lot. I'm rooting for UW the rest of the year. Um this week, we play UConn, two days, uh, number five team in the country. And I just, I don't know who's going to show up um, because the team that played against Purdue in that first half, the team that whooped up on USC, um, the team that played a, a nice game to, with UCLA, um, that team is going to play tight with UConn, and that's the game I'll be excited to watch. UConn is not the powerhouse we thought they might be. They're obviously missing um, – you know, the guys they lost to the draft, ha, to the draft, Hawkins, particularly to New Orleans. Um, he's a big loss, but they're still a really good team. Um, Gonzaga kind of needs this win. I was amazed. They were ranked number seven in the country, kind of by, you know, order of elimination. All the best teams just keep losing. So it's like, okay, I guess Gonzaga's seven now, even though they were like 11 when they lost to Purdue. Somehow they've you know, climbed four ranks. I UCLA and USC were both good wins, but they lost you up and they only dropped to 10, which was, they only dropped three spots for what's, I mean, what's considered a, a quad four loss. Um, so that's a little surprising. This UConn game is huge. Winning the game would really validate this program in a lot of ways in terms of what they can be this year. Um, they'd stay top 10. I, you know, if they beat UConn, I'd be fine saying at 10. I'm, I don't think this team deserves to be ranked like number five in the country. Um, but it would just be very encouraging with some of their eggs if they played a good game here. Because also, after that, we're getting into Pac-12, or Pac-12, WCC play, which is... It's not really any place to move up, you know? <laughs> correct. Especially with the way St. Mary's has not looked great this year. 
BYU's out, so we're just not getting the same level of competition. And then, you know, we basically have to wait till February when we have that awesome Kentucky game. But, uh, yeah, all the Zag fans out there, this is this is the biggest game of the year, I think, for this team because it's gonna it's gonna be a huge like even if you lose if it's close yeah it's gonna be a huge correct and then then we'll the vibes. then we'll drop to fifteen or eighteen and I'll be fine with that too but if we lose big that's gonna be very discouraging if we win it will be very encouraging about the ceiling of this team because watching that UW game was pretty you know it's college basketball anything can happen but it's pretty discouraging in terms of ceiling um, I didn't love what I saw. Yeah. Love to hear that one talking about a game against UW. Um. <laughs> <laughs> they look good, man. They look good. Props props to the victors. Uh, anything else before I sign us off? No. Uh, look forward to a, a more deep dive on Texas and UW. That's going to be fun to talk about. And uh, yeah, go dogs. Yeah, we'll be around. Um, this next week, we'll get you get you another pod. Yeah. Um, I oh. swear to God, we're going to sit down and watch a couple of Kraken games and come to you guys with some analysis on the Kraken. We understand that this is called the Sound Up Seattle Pod. And we fully intend to bring some more Kraken content. We just haven't gotten there. The other side of that is the Kraken are 8 and 21. So, Correct. <laughs> we, the content will not be very positive, but we'll have a little bit more of a deep dive on their actual season so far. And you know what else you'll get after the championship game, or not the championship, the UW-Texas game, you'll get a reaction from somebody who was at the game. I will be there. Hell yeah, buddy. And I am stoked. It's going to be such a fun time. Yeah. So since he'll be out of the house, I have to stick around to watch the couch. So uh, <laughs> I'll still be here. But yeah, Tyler will be in New Orleans. So somebody go there and throw eggs at him. If you enjoyed this episode of Sound Up Seattle, please feel free to give us a follow on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Um, you can find me, Tyler, at TyCart50, everywhere that's important. I did that the wrong order. You can find Sound Up Seattle <laughs> on TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram, all at Sound Up Seattle, all lowercase, all one word. You can email us your questions, comments, or concerns. John likes to read those. Uh, <laughs> a lot of at, concerns about me. <laughs> at soundupseattle at gmail.com. Uh, and you can find John. He's back on the Elden Ring grind. He's here. I am so close to becoming an Elden Lord once again. <laughs> And let's go Hawks. Let's go dogs, baby. <laughs>